You're listening to the Dealer Refresh Podcast in the Mix, where we explore the hottest topics going on right now in automotive retail, providing analysis and insights for dealers and automotive professionals. We need to find some auto industry gossip. What kind of gossip do we have going on in our business? We can. Where's the dirt? St- there's got to be dirt somewhere. Oh, there's there's plenty of dirt. Everybody's just afraid to talk about it because it's still it's such a small knit community, right? Like nobody wants nobody wants to get a direct message from the CEO of the company they just trash, <laughs> right? It happens. I, I could share some dirt, but I'm not gonna because I don't want it to be on record. Yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> there you go. God. All right. Well, let's just talk boring old auto stuff. So refresh Friday today, you hit that. What was that like from the end user experience? I've never gotten to watch a refresh Friday, you know, as an end user. So I have it's no good. Idea what like, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's just three guys, you know, it's three guys talking to each other, sometimes four, but uh, I think it's always good. I mean, it's, it's nice to have uh, a place that you can go catch up on, you know, whatever's happened that week. You know, you guys tend to pull out the, the better stories in the forum posts, um, that have some traction and just kind of bring those to light. So it, it helps people like me who are super busy uh, figure out what's, uh, what's important and what, what I should go read and jump in on. Well, cool. That's the whole point. What you, what you didn't get to see was the, the drama. <clears throat> okay. I'm losing my voice here. I need some water. Hold on. Be right back. Okay. Okay. While you were talking there, I was having a coughing fit. Oh. <laughs> All right, hang on one sec. Okay. <clears throat> so what you didn't catch was the drama that we had. I think Stoning was almost almost bailed on the show altogether. Which would have <laughs> again? Stopped. Yeah, he's like, if you keep laughing, I'm gonna. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this show. So. Jerry Petrato is supposed to be on with us and cause he was our guest a 10 minute segment. So Jerry gets on there bright and early, you know, half hour, bottom of the hour. And his video is not working, but we could hear him. So we're trying to help him troubleshoot that. And then what we determined was he was dialed in on his phone, but you know, his, it wasn't syncing up with his video. So I said, well, why don't you leave the meeting, leave the zoom and come back into it, but don't dial in on the phone, use your computer audio. So he leaves the meeting, comes back, and there he is. We can see him now, but he can't hear us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like chatting with him, and Steve's like, turn, like, are your speakers on? And, and But he didn't know that we could hear him, so he really wasn't talking. We didn't even know we could hear him until we, he, he, dialed, he went to dial in on his phone, and we heard him like, Jerry, we can hear you but he couldn't hear us. So that's funny. Then Steve gets on the, Steve calls him on the phone. So here's me and Jeff and Steve and Jerry, we're all on there on the video and, and Steve calls Jerry. Well, because we could hear Jerry and he had Steve on speakerphone, Steve was looping back in. So we, so I muted Steve cause we didn't, you know, cause we could hear him coming through and I was trying to test Jerry's audio. And then Steve's like, why are you muting me? <laughs> so, so I'm like, Steve wasn't listening to us. And I told him like, we can hear you. So I muted him again. And he got so pissed. He's like, we got to help. He's like freaking out. And um, he's like, if you mute me one more time, I'm not coming on the show. 
So Jeff and I are like, all right, <laughs> all right, let's all take a step back. I'm like, I'm like, Steve is, I don't think Jerry's going to be on the show with us today. Let's just do the show without him. <laughs> so we had to take a chill pill. So it was cool. Cause then it was like, this was all three minutes before airtime. That's awesome. I know. And I'm like, I'm hitting live and we're doing this. And he's, and he, so we got over it and it worked out. <laughs> so there, there's some dirt. It's all the dirt I got. That's not very good dirt, but no. whatever. I'll take it. Ah, <clears throat> uh, so okay. So I learned. What did you learn? Did you, did you learn anything from the from um, from the event? Anything from the show? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so that sucks. But you're a hard person to. Like you, you know everything, so you don't. It's hard for you to learn. Yeah, it's kind of an unfair question to ask me because I do stay, you know, I am pretty like involved with everything that's going on, and sometimes I do know what what the shows are going to be about. So, (laughs) so you knew that that CES had lost its power. Yes, you knew that uh, crossovers were going to overtake passenger cars in 2018. Like long live the Buick Regal wagon. Yeah. Um. So okay. I didn't know or didn't think I don't think about things like this. And that's why I like doing all this is that, um, that, you know, that the F and I trend as they called it would continue on in 2018. But the reasons why I thought were, I thought were noteworthy, you know, that the, 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 the economy is looking good. The it, it seems to be heading in, in the best direction it's, it's gone in a long time at a, so- at a pace. For the people that may not know what you're talking about, do you want to give a little uh, rundown of what you mean by F&I trend? Well, maybe you should because you already know it and I, it's new to me. I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The gist was Hannah Lutz's, Hannah Lutz's article on Auto News that the F&I upward, the upward F&I trend would continue on in 2018. And I think she cited four reasons why one of them referred to as the, the, the uh, emerge, I call it the emerging trend of digital retailing. Uh, another one was had to do more with the banking systems and that stuff's over my head. All I could sense is that it was, you know, related to some of the policy changes that were going to be uh, in the interest of, of consumer loan, loan and spending. And there was another point in there. I'd have to bring up the article to remember. So I learned. That's what I learned. That was good. Well, I mean, what did you learn out of that, I guess? Well, I guess I learned that, um, how do you put it? Learned that there is an upward trend. Because again, I don't, I wouldn't know that. I don't pay, I'm not paying attention to that. It's not, you know. It's an upward trend in what? In revenues, in profitability. Oh, okay. Specifically through at the you know the F&I business <clears throat> which you know that's a huge part I mean that's a huge part of the dealer business as a consumer you don't think about these things you don't realize that dealers are making money off of your loan you don't realize that I I, I don't think I learned that till five or six years ago oh really yeah yeah points man yeah in fact I did a an article on a small dealer I forget where somewhere out west and one of their Unique value propositions was they didn't make money on the loans. And the funny thing is they didn't really, they didn't market it. Like they didn't brag about it. It was just one of the things that they did. It was 
you would think that they would build a marketing campaign around it. Buy from us. We don't make money off your loan. But then, yeah, I mean, trying to explain that to a customer, like, would almost just be worse than just making money off of them, trying to explain to them, like, well, what do you mean you don't make any money off the loan? And then you have to sit them down and give them, like, you know, the quick and dirty on on how points work on the back end and how, you know, the bank approves them for this much, but then we always present this much. (laughs) Sometimes the bank takes half and sometimes we take half. Like, Well, that so that brings up a good point, because the average consumer wouldn't know that. And so if, if they go through the car process and they, they don't know that, then what's the benefit of giving that? To, what's the benefit of not doing it other than, you know, it's a good thing. <laughs> if, in other words, if the customer doesn't realize the benefit, then is there a benefit? Well, I mean, it's the cost of goods too, right? So if a thing is only worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for it, right? And so whatever that number is, that somebody's willing to pay for it, why should they pay more or why should they pay less? Right. And if you don't have a good answer for either one of those things, um, and it's something that I, I've come to realize being in, in this side of the business too, is that, you know, you want to give lower prices on a, on a, on a product. You can do that, but then you also have to make up, you just can't say, I want to make less money as a business this year than I did last year or any other year for that matter. Right. So if we have to sell products for less then we have to figure out other ways that we might be able to make up some of those revenues. And in this case for, you know, in F and I, like if we're able, if the bank's able to buy it at a lower rate and we're able to split the difference and and present to the customer a certain percentage rate that they're happy with, like there's, I don't see any, any, any issue with that, I guess. I don't see an issue with it either. Yeah. It all depends. It, it all depends. It, if, as, if you understand what's happening behind the scenes, then, then that gives you bargaining power. And right. You can bargain. If you don't understand it, then you can get ripped off. And both of those happen. Sure. I mean, but there, those are both bleeding edge cases, you know, so you're not going to have the, the majority of people that understand uh, how banking and finance works and all that. I mean, I don't even really understand it. So I, I don't feel I don't feel at all confident talking about this subject, but, but I will for the little amount of knowledge that I do have. Um, but you know, you don't have, yeah, you might have some dealers ripping people off, but I don't think they're ripping them off, you know, in this aspect of it, at least I hope not. It's probably somewhere else, you know? So to recap what Hannah's article covered is significant changes at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Basically, she's saying that under a Republican administration um, and now with a Republican acting director, the Bureau could behave differently. Um, What does she say here? Mick uh, Mulvaney, director of office uh, budget, placed a 30-day freeze on regulatory actions and hiring when it conducted a review of operations. Auto-related enforcements have already begun to taper off but they could lessen. So it looks like less regulation, which is good. That affects any, you know, that affects the the mortgage business, any sort of business where there's loans. When you get rid of regulation, that, that does help reduce costs and that benefits consumers. So that's cool. Yeah. I think it's cool. So diving Moving into on, stuff that's that super you, boring. Yeah. Right. <laughs> love and are passionate about, you can squeeze it into about a 43 second conversation. Right. Hey, <laughs> F and I trends won't let up in 2018. Boom. Go read the article. Handle that's auto news. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Eric's article there. Have you read his uh, predictions article? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So why don't I put you on the spot? 
of, of everything talked about in there, what intrigues you the most? Why do you put me on the spot? Well, because you're Where did a smart you send guy this to me? Oh, it. it's in chat. Yeah. What intrigued you the most? Um, I mean, you should know. You should you you shouldn't have to look at it. Well, it's yeah, a problem. It's a problem with visuals. Um, I was doing a webinar. I'm not going to say for who, but I was doing a webinar recently, and we had his talking points up on the screen, and for whatever reason his screen stopped showing or, you know, he stopped seeing my screen. Everyone else could, but he couldn't. And he couldn't, he didn't know where to go. <laughs> oh, really? Had, yeah. He, he was like, um, I can't see the screen anymore. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> all right, well, just, I mean, you're the expert, like keep talking through it. And he was, he, I was like, all right, well, maybe you could speak to A and B. So it was, it was, it was, it was kind of awkward. I was like, what? He needed the visual. That's a problem with, with, like webinars and presentations is people talk to the slide and not through their knowledge. They don't right. see it through, they already know it, but when you put the visual <laughs> in front of you and then it's gone, it, it chokes you up. Right. So to go back to your question, there was a couple, couple things that I liked that he wrote about. One was that used car leasing will increase. Um, and I think that kind of lends itself to the idea of vehicle subscription models because that just makes sense. Um, and then the second one was, uh, his, he titles how vendors will change the way they show value to dealers. And I mean, both of these are kind of like, yeah, of course. Um, I think the vendors are making a really hard push. So there's, there's two ways you can look at this, you know, between the two, two different products. One is like consumer driven. The other one is, is vendor driven, I guess. Like, um, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I wonder if the vendors are trying to change the narrative because they just all realize that they can't produce anymore. <laughs> right. That's it's such like, a, that's such a blanket loaded statement to say that like you can't bundle vendors into one single bucket. There's not, there's not a vendor bucket. It's like saying all dealers are the same. And whenever I hear vendors say, oh, dealers are this and are that. I'm like, well, no, some dealers are and some dealers aren't. Yeah, but you just have to do it for, I mean, what are we going to do? Pick apart every single vendor that's out there and say, well, these group of vendors are, you know, fall into this and these group of vendors don't. So I think for the sake of time, we just say vendors and everybody's lumped into that group. And uh, no, I don't say partners and I don't say whatever, you know, whatever else, like, what do they call those pronouns? I don't give vendors pronouns. Vendors are vendors. I pay them money. <laughs> right? well, so that was part of the conversation on the round table uh, with Eric and Bill. And, and I feel like I've been hearing this a lot. Oh, we, we need to, we need to uh, approach each other more like partners, not just vendors. We're, we need to be partners, you know, that are committed together. I feel like I've been hearing. But here's a lot. Yeah. Committed together, but sign this 18 page contract that indemnifies me for every single possible thing that might happen. And you take the full brunt of every possible negative thing that might happen down the road. Partners. That is the nature of contracts. Whoever writes the contract and offers the service is protecting themselves. You, you okay. as a dealer, you as a dealer could have your own contract. I know. Well, they won't sign it. Right. You could have, right. Your own they contract. won't even, they won't even sign contracts that I've, that I've attached addendums to. 
But so, so uh, they try to throw that partner term around loosely. I put a stranglehold on that, on that, that name and uh, put it back into its bottle where it should stay because we are not partners. Anytime that we have to sign a contract where one person gets away scot-free and the other person doesn't, it's not a partnership. That's a uh, dictatorship. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> well, uh, again, every, every agreement is different. So I know for, for me, I put, if you look at my agreement, Mm -hmm. when you include all of the terms and definitions, it's something like 12 pages, but when you strip out all the legal jargon and I'm sorry, when you strip out all of the non-legal jargon, the terms and the definitions, and you just look at the actual contract, Mm -hmm. it's, it's about two and a half to, I keep bumping this thing. It's about two and a half to three pages. And, you know, it basically says we agree to do these things Mm -hmm prices under these terms. And, you know, pretty much if you want to terminate from, from these agreements, then we just need this much notice okay. and we can't, you know, and that's what it says. And my philosophy is that, you know, if, if the partnership's not working for you, you know, for whatever reason, then, then we should stop doing it. And we, you know, this is the notice that we need and, you know, and we'll stop doing what we agreed to do. And it's that simple. And the, the piece of paper doesn't make the partnership or the relationship or it doesn't, the piece of paper doesn't make it uh, successful. It's the, it's the relationship and the human interaction that that's what makes it successful. And that applies to you and any vendor out there, no matter what the agreement says, it's how they interact with you, how they serve, how they service you or serve you and respond to you that that's what matters. And obviously the, what they deliver to you as well. Yeah. And if, if what you need to do is you, if you're not happy with what you're getting from the vendor, then you go back and look at the agreement and you reinterpret what it is that you signed for. And if you see a breach, then you, the, the agreement said, you know, you need to communicate that. So you go to your vendor and you say, Hey, look, see this clause here you're not doing this. You are in breach of this contract. And now you go back into negotiation. How are you going to rectify that? Okay. Sounds like fun. (laughs) You have fun with that. I just choose not to sign them, but. Well, I mean, if you need something you have and, and it requires a signature, you, I mean, you got to do it unless they say you don't have to. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be, I don't want to, beat on this topic anymore uh, you know suffice to say they're just not partners right they're they're not partners they it, it's their show or no show right you don't really have a say in in what it is that they're doing you just basically have to you know hope in a prayer that your money's getting spent wisely because you have no idea what you're really buying because they don't tell you you're buying you're buying friendships i guess or something um is it fair to say you are a half a glass half empty kind of guy no no not at all i just Here's the deal. So when your contracts come over and they say, Hey, look, um, you're buying, you know, you're buying this, right. But we also will, you know, we have all these other partnerships that you don't know about that we make money from too. And we're going to send all of your stuff out to those guys too. And if they change something like the price of cars or, you know, they put, they take a one out of a hundred thousand dollar car or miss a zero or somewhere. And that car shows up for 10 grand. Hey, you know, that's not our fault. 
that that's your fault still yeah yeah like that that kind of stuff i i have legitimate problems with and when you bring it up to them they're like oh it's just a standard contract and it's right. like no 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 so you, no you make them change those clauses that no that- they refuse to and that's the thing so it's not a partnership when they refuse to adjust the contract because yeah. you know we may not agree with that aspect so and then secondarily you- they make money off of the stuff that we give them too on the back end right yeah. so if they're sending out to 200 or seating out 300 different inventory websites that are out there and they're making money back from those guys, right? They're paying them for a feed or something like that. Um, or they're paying them per lead to resell back to us at a paper lead kind of program. Um, we don't see any of that money at all. So if you don't like what you see and you tell them that and they say, well, that's just standard. We can't change that. Then you be, do you say, okay, well then we're not, we're not going to do business together. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah. then, yeah, that's, Nice I, nice I don't want to, freedom. I mean, to a degree, right. Some, some of them I just sign out of disgust and throw and wad it up and throw it at, at somebody real quick. <laughs> Take that, get out of here. <laughs> don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you now. Get the hell out. It's very Trump, Trump like you to say that. I well, say that. get the hell out of my office. No, I'm not like that at all. I'm, I'm really nice and cordial about it. I'm like, can you explain this to me right here? This article for cars.com. Um, but yeah, so I, I totally understand why they do it and it and it may it's the nature of of contracts, right? And the nature of doing business. I totally get it. Like I'm not shooting them down for that. I'm just saying that it's not a partnership. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not. So, so that okay, Ed so Brooks of the world can come out and give you bear hugs all day long doesn't mean it changes the, the terms of that contract. We can get sued just like, you know, just as quick without those bear hugs. So all right, so diving back into the subject matter of of Eric's article and our conversation around it uh, yesterday, you know, on the roundtable, it you know, it's kind of a vague statement, I think, which is that v- vendors need to find, I would say, new and and uh, create. I, these these aren't the words used. He didn't use new and creative, but vendors need to find more effective ways to to build relationships with dealers. But here's where we left it in the conversation uh-huh. is, and who was it? Who was it? Um, wasn't Bill. Why am I blanking on? Oh, well, it was Jeff was on. It, it was, was Eric. Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, Eric, me and Bill. Basically, um, you know, it was Jeff. That's right. It was Jeff. He's like, I don't want dealers knocking on my door. I don't want them showing up at my dealership. I don't want them sending emails. I don't want them calling me. If I want their product, I will reach out to them and I will engage in the conversation. So let me lead you down a path here. Would you agree that that is the majority consensus of people like yourself and Jeff, you know, in the positions that you're at? Yes. Okay. So what does that mean? That means is vendors need to get themselves out there in a way where they're accessible by guys like you and Jeff. Trade shows are one way to do that. Sure. Now, now an overwhelming consensus I'm hearing from, I, I think the the more tenured folks in the industry like you like you and Jeff are these the the conferences and expos just don't seem to to um, have as much appeal. They're losing appeal to you because it's a lot of time and money spent and you're not really, it's not really, you, you can, you can do without it. So that's a, that's a, an, a challenging area, but it's one way for vendors to get exposure. 
and it's well there definitely there's definitely value in those in those in a lot of those conferences the the only problem that some of us have um that have been doing this kind of work for a long time is we've just outgrown it right so for the majority of people who are still learning or just getting into the business or getting into digital marketing especially in automotive you know these are great resources for them but for you know quite a few of us we've just outgrown what it has to offer and you know we're not the majority we're we're definitely the minority in that aspect so it's understandable you know but now when you take uh what i i feel like i'm using this term a lot but when you take emerging trends like right now we have online shopping cart tools whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them now we ha- now we see vehicle subscription um, models to me that is a that's a a very broad uh, emerging idea in our space that over the next probably five years will it'll it'll take five years to 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 for to form itself. These are new ideas, new technologies, uh, and so they need to be they need to be at the trade shows. My whole point of saying all this is that if if you don't want dealers knocking on your door, you'll vendors. Go yeah, I'm sorry. If you don't want vendors knocking on your door, you'll seek them out. Then that leads to what do vendors need to be doing so that they can, you know, so that they are, they are known, they do have awareness, and they are accessible and visible to the dealer community? Trade shows is one way. What are some other ways that they can do that? You know, posting in the forums, obviously, uh, and some of the other websites, Driving Sales is great. You know, obviously, Dealer Refresh is great. Um, the old cold call just doesn't work or the, you know, the cold email that we don't pay attention to that kind of stuff um, to really get us involved, you know, things like um, uh, uh, trial periods, right? If you want me to use your dashboard or whatever it is, like, you know, just send me login details. So let me back you up. I'm going to use you as an example. You like Fastlane, you know about drive motors, yep. you know about online shopper. I'm pretty sure you know about Drive Motors probably from from my coverage with them on Dealer Refresh. Yeah. Probably I you know. Fastlane you know about because of driving sales because you were there. Right. That's the first time I met you met the- Brandon, right? Yes. Okay. Online Shopper you know about because of your relationship with Dealer Inspire which where did that where did that uh, form initially? Um Jason? that formed initially no not with it was before Jason. It was when um it was at, I think, a digital dealer, to be honest with you, and they had a booth. Uh, it was it was a lot smaller than it is now, but mm-hmm. um, they were the, uh, yeah, it was digital dealer, I remember. because okay. And so I gravitated to them because they were building in WordPress. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the so only- So you went to their booth. It was a trade show that, that yes. indoctrinated you to who Dealer Inspire was, and long- Long story short, you became friendly with Joe and, and now that Jason, you knew Jason before he went to. Yeah. Dealer. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I heard. You, those three tools, which are, you know, you know, emerging technologies in our space. Okay. Um, there's plenty, there's, there's a growing number of those coming out, but those three tools you learned uh, of them through two through trade shows and one through digital media and all of them the common denominator it, that of why they're on your radar and why you look at them it, it comes to do with the relationships. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So all I'm trying to do is, is kind of cement the idea that 
cold calling, like you said, cold calling is dead. You don't want vendors showing up at your door, which I would actually argue vendors still need to do. I really would. I would, um, and here's why, if you're interested. Lay it on me. I walk into your store, okay? Before I do, do me a favor. Let's, let's, play, let's do a hypothetical. This will be fun. Give me an obscure problem or you know, solution, problem that needs to be solved at your dealership. It can be f- variable or fixed ops. What's can be big or small? What is in a, something, just whatever you want? What's the problem you need solved right now? Um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about it. Um, I want to, I want like a revolution parts, you know? Okay. You want to sell parts online? Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm, I'll be revolution parts, right? I'm going to go and look at your website. Do you have an about us page on your website Uh huh. with pictures of people and all that? Sometimes you as the, what you're probably titled the e-commerce director, pro, you might not even be on the website. Correct. No. Okay. Correct. Correct. And I wouldn't even think of going to the e-commerce director personally. I would always start at the top. I would, I would look for the principal and the GM and I would, I would literally either show up and try to introduce myself and just get an introduction. Um, a lot of times I would walk back through the, through the service department and just, just look around, get a feel for who, you know, what's going on, strike up conversations with random people. And I would have no idea who I'm supposed to talk to about who about that piece. So to, for me, the, the first mystery to solve is who's the person that, that actually would want my product. And there's really no way for me to know by physically being there. All I can do by physically being there is, is shake hands, gather Intel and try to put a, a, a puzzle together that I don't really have a, a picture of, if you will. Right. <clears throat> So that's, that is one challenge, but I would still get a lot of intel by being there. The problem is, is being there physically is so time consuming and expensive. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Um, but let me back up. Let's say I've, I've done some, I've shaken some hands and, you know, no one, let's just say by happenstance, somebody's like, you know, our e-commerce director had mentioned in a meeting the other day, you know, something about he wants to sell more parts online. You know, maybe you should go talk to him. That's a pretty typical response. Maybe you should go talk to so-and-so, right? Let's pretend that guy's name was Tom that told me that. So now I figure out, okay, Chris is the e-commerce director. Now I got to find a way to reach out to you. But when I do, whether I call you on the phone, hey, Chris, um, we haven't met before, but I was talking with Tom over in the service department or in the parts department. He actually mentioned that you were uh, possibly interested in looking at an e-commerce solution. How are you going to respond to that? Say that again. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> what, what were you doing that whole time? I was reading a post on, on dealer refresh. That's so bad. That's so bad. All right. Uh, you don't have to start at the top. You could just say. Um, okay. So you. You've you've declared that that you're interested in selling parts online. You you want to look at companies, products, you name it. That's you you're you're interested. You're curious and in going that direction. Okay, I th- through my investigation learned that I figure out that you have some interest and it's it's of partial interest to you. So now I either show up, you know, at the at the store. Hey, Chris, there's somebody out here to see you. Okay. 
Okay. Are you going to take the time to go see who it is? No. You're going to tell them to, to, to bug off? Yeah. You don't even care? No. There's someone out here to see you? No, I don't care. Okay. Um, how about there's... Um, Good. And general- can I tell you why? It's not to, no. It's not a dick move. It, it's, no, I can't I tell it. you why? No, because here's, here's what I'm going to ask you. <laughs> okay. Now someone comes back. Chris, gentleman out here named Ryan, he was talking to... He mentions Tom Smith back in parts. Uh, Tom Smith said, uh, Tom Smith wanted, you know, you to, you know, wanted you to talk with him. Now you're probably going to come out. Come on. Nope. Because it happens all the time because what they'll do is they'll get the manager's name from LinkedIn or something like that. And then they'll just throw them, throw it around and be like, yeah, you know, Pat told me to come back here. Me, we go way back or something. Ask Pat who he is. Is that why you're going to, is that why you're going to put up the wall because of that? What were you going to say is why when I said, no, I don't want, I don't want to know. Oh, because so, I mean, their job while they're here is to sell me, right? My job is to not get sold as, as the person, right? So I need to look at everything objectively. Like I don't have time for somebody to come in and do a hard sell on me because they're only in town for a day or two, right? Before they go back to Phoenix or something like that. Um, and I don't, I don't have enough time to get the people involved that I need to get involved to say, to make any sort of decision. So I just don't have the time to have that conversation. I just well, of don't. Of course not. I don't, I don't have time to try and sell you something if I don't know, if I don't, I, I don't have time to do that either. Mm-hmm. But fr- from my conversation with Tom back in parts, what he told me is that, is that you, that you might be interested, that you are possibly looking into an e-commerce solution for parts. If that's not the case, then, hey, it was great meeting you. I'll go my own way. No, that's definitely the case. I just don't have time to talk to you. Okay. No, that's cool. Well, listen, yeah. <laughs> I'm Ryan, and I specialize in that. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I work with hundreds of dealers across the country. And so, you know, if there's a conversation there, I'd love to have it. And you tell me, you know, do you, do you want to take my car? Do you want to do lunch? You tell me. Tell me to come back in a month. That's your call. That's all. That's why I'm here. Are we role playing? Mm-hmm. Oh, we wouldn't even have gotten this far. <laughs> we just did. <laughs> you wouldn't even because uh, you wouldn't even know where I sit to begin with. Uh, you know no. what I like about you, Chris? What's that? Not much. Uh, <laughs> so says my wife. Yeah, uh, take her, please. So, so I say all that because I believe that you can do you can do all the trade shows and digital marketing marketing that you want, but if you don't get out on, get feet on the street and get on the phone call and go that direction. I, I, even though dealers say they don't want it, I think you will, I think you need that part of it. That needs to be part of your, your marketing strategy too. Yeah. You're going to get a lot more rejection. Yeah, it's true. And, and I mean, the way that I've gotten in with most of the people that I work with, right, uh, is through is relationships, right? Like to your point. And the way I've gotten those relationships is because they've helped me with something online or they've helped other people that I've seen online, uh, typically in the forums or something like that. Like either they're really knowledgeable about the product that they're selling or they're knowledgeable about the space, but if it's SEO or SEM or, or social or whatever, um, versus the people who are just like, Hey, look at me, you know, look at my product. It's awesome. It does everything. It's the whirly bird. And they, right. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Who like every post, they try to just like bring it back to their product and how it's just the, the best thing since sliced bread. And then after a while, those people end up getting trolled and, and leaving. But you know, it, it's definitely is that relationship. And a lot of times, um, 
it'll take a while for for one of us to finally pull the trigger on one of those programs, you know, with somebody. But when we do, we're all in, right? So we've got it figured out. We just don't, we can't just call up some guy and say, hey, look, we want to add this. We can't call up Drive Motors and say, hey, we want to add your widget to our site, mm-hmm. right? We have to think about all of the other implications down the road that it's going to involve. So, sure. you know, is it going to involve the F&I department? Is it going to involve used cars? And now we need to get a used car partner that we didn't have before in there. Is it trade pending or is it KBB ICO or is it admins, right? So there's a lot of steps involved, not to mention like you got to get the BDC all trained up and everything else. So it's not like you just come in and sell me a widget. Right. right. Or sell me a product like there is so many more steps involved before that product ever goes live. Sure. And that depends on the product. I mean, when you're talking, yeah, you know, when you're talking leads, that's one thing. But it, it all depends on the it all depends on the product. And I, I personally, I like a complex sale because that requires investigation and research and relationship building. And, you know, it, to me, I, I spend more time chasing away business or deflecting it versus getting it in just in the sense that I want to make sure if I'm going to put my time into a partnership, that it's a good partnership. It's that it's a good, right. yeah. you know, cause I, for, I know for my product, there, there's a lot of implementation. There's a lot of setup. I don't want to do it if you're going away and, you know, after 60 days, it's just, it's just not right. worth it. So, you know, if it, it, you got to take every opportunity for what it is. All right, let's kick that off. I mean, I think we, we, you know, just, you know, we dove into what do vendors need to do, you know, to continue to reach the dealers. And it, it is needs to be continually more relationship focused. And you got to find ways to, to, you know, make yourselves aware. And there's, di- there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, if you want me to pick the next piece out of yeah Eric's article or please. So, uh, so what stood out for me was, and I'm not sure I understand why, what, but there were two comments in there, one from Bill Playford and one from Danny Benitez, both of them suggesting that, and I'll read Danny's, let me read Danny's uh, statement specifically. I think I just accidentally ended up in the wrong place. Hold on. Can you play some of that Jeopardy hold music? Come on, Girardi. I should just do a, a control F. Okay, Danny Benitez says, the hot girls at the search party are named Alexa, Siri, and Google Assistant. <laughs> I predict the latter will get a sexy name soon. Who has type? Who has time to type anyway? Um, that's actually not what I was looking for. Where is his comment about? Let's talk about that for a second, though. All right, do you have do you have any of those devices? I, well, I have Siri, Okay. which is okay, but nothing. I mean, I'm not, I don't find Siri incredibly useful other than for creating reminders for myself. So I I just think it's a, I mean, I understand where he's going with it. Like, Hey, look at technology. Technology is awesome. What are you going to ask it? Well, he predicted that that Google assistant would get a sexy name who has time to type anyway. What are you going to ask it? Well, why, well, I mean, like, why should why should people in the car business, you know, look at that? Like, what what are you going to ask it? That's yeah, gonna... does, I don't. I think that that has more to do with like connected cars. You okay. need our cars. You know, we need to get off of these devices while we're driving, right? We don't have time to stop. The whole idea of stopping and pulling over to do a message. I mean, you would never get anywhere. You just wouldn't. So you you can't. It's not an option. And the talk to text is is hideous. At least with Siri, it is. 
So I think to your point, what does it have to do with anything? All he did was I predict that Google Assistant will get a sexy name. That's okay. The bullet I was looking for that that I just found, it keeps evading me, is rural dealers will unknowingly take power and become bigger targets for larger dealer groups. What do you think he's saying there? Say that again. All right, I'll read it again. This is Danny Benitez. Okay. Rural dealers will unknowingly take power and become bigger targets for larger dealer groups. Bigger targets for larger dealer groups. Take power. Hmm. So, so think about that because I mean uh, we'd have to ask Danny what he means by that. Um, Bill Playford says, "Where is this, by the way? Where are you reading this stuff?" Um, didn't I send you? Is it is it on the? Oh, it's on the thing, huh? I sent you the the link on the on the chat thing. Yeah. Bill says, "Look for the conglomeration of rural and ex-urban dealerships to gain steam." as those are the dealerships that will serve the future of retail. Don't be surprised if these conglomerates start doing away with commission-based compensation. Machine learning will continue to get smarter. So, so on, on the roundtable discussion, what I think they were getting at is that the urban dealerships will you know, innovate and evolve more quickly, and the rural ones will not. That's what came out in that conversation, which is an arguable point. I wouldn't say, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, and how uh, it's not a, uh, a depictor of, of how tech savvy you are or not. There's going to be, well, look, when you're a dealership in an urban area, you're probably going to have to, you are going to have to adapt and, and innovate and evolve more swiftly than, I mean, that typically does work that way in most things The you know, those in the countryside are, slower to adapt. But I don't think that means that vehicle subscription models won't, uh, won't, I don't think it means that they won't be um, prominent in rural areas. I I can, I would imagine in rural areas, the subscription models apply um, just like they would anywhere else. You know? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, a dollar menu is the same dollar menu, no matter which McDonald's you go into. Right. Yeah. So it's, and that's a bad analogy to use, but it's, it's, People want to rent, you know, or want to subscribe to cars just the same they do anywhere else. It doesn't matter where they live. But I think what what they're trying to get at without saying it directly is that rural dealer, I hate saying that word because I suck at it. So outlying dealers, how about that? Outlying, so uh, as OE, so it's a big, it's a bigger conversation, right? OEMs want more control over the dealership's individuality let's say, right? So they have these programs that come out and you have to have facility compliance and all these other types of things. And they want access to your CRM and your DMS. And they want to tell you how to, how to do things basically. So in order to take, in order to get money back from the OEMs, you have to take part in these programs. And for GM, it's like uh, essential brand elements or, or SFE um, standards for excellence is what that stands for. And so based on the amount of volume that you sell throughout the year will dictate, you know, how much money you'll be getting back from the OEM uh, throughout the year. And sometimes these can be large, you know, lots of, of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars per stores. Right. So in a group, let's say, you know, if, if you've got a bunch of stores that are in Metro areas that are doing well, um, then you can afford to make the changes to say your facility, like, you know, putting $60,000 worth of TVs around so it can play, you know, 
screenshots of, of new vehicles or whatever it might be, right? So mm -hmm. it could be panels outside, it could be lighting, it could be whatever it is, paint, you know, tile, they, these guys can dictate. So those can be really expensive uh, jobs to get done. I mean, you know, we just did our, our service write-up area, a tile job, and it was $30,000 almost, right? And it's not a very big area. It's like 1,600 square feet. But because of the tile we have to use, that's, you know, uh, been okayed by the manufacturer and everything else, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, the, the outlying dealers will not make enough money if they were to be involved into the programs to cover the costs it would take to to bring those facilities up to compliance to those yeah. standards, right? Yeah. So they might make $300,000. It's going to cost them a million dollars to get up to standard. So I think what will happen is if, as let me bring it back in. So as these standards become more and more kind of like tightened, right? And you can see this with Project Pinnacle and Cadillac and all that. Sure. You can see the, the big hand start to grasp the throat of the dealership a little tighter, as that it starts to happen, some of these outlying dealers, they're not good. They're basically, it's going to come down to like, you are not compliant in anything. You are no longer franchise. So maybe what we should maybe, do. Maybe. I don't know how that works legally, but to me, that's just the logical steps that they're trying to do is to say, hey, smaller dealers, we're, you're not going to be dealers anymore. Hey, larger dealers, do you want this? And we'll just grow your, your uh, PMA, right? We'll just grow your area. We should, I'm going to reach out to Danny and, and have him speak to it. But my guess is what he's suggesting is that, is that the, the conglomerates are going to want to swoop up the rural dealers. And, and if you think about what you're saying, I'm just, this might be a stretch here is to your point, it doesn't, there's, it doesn't make economic sense for the rural dealers to make the, all of those investments to meet, to meet the requirements of the franchise. But if, but if they're more of a satellite dealership from a larger conglomerate group, now they have the money and guess what the larger group gets? They get the extension to the rural areas. Right. And that might be and what you're speaking to. Now, now it can be a Chevrolet service center or something. You know what I mean? It's not going to be a full on dealership or anything like that, but it's a satellite store. I point. really, I really see, you know, uh, we have like dealerships tend to bunch together in a mile. You know, it's like mm -hmm. not, it's not always an auto mall, but they tend to bunch together in neighborhoods. Uh, you know what else I noticed too? And, and maybe this might be the same is look to see how far away a DMV is. A, from those a bunches. A department of motor vehicles. Okay. I'm, I'm curious on why you're saying that. Because in, in Las Vegas, all of the, the bunches of dealerships, are all within two blocks of a DMV. <laughs> uh, huh. Yeah, I'll have to pay attention to that. What I was getting at is this. I see dealerships, especially because they're consolidating, turning more into hubs, mm -hmm. transport sure. mobility hubs. And and like I've said this a couple of times, like in airport, you have a lot of amenities that go on you know, at airports. Now with airports it's much more transient. People are in and out for, you know, an hour, a few hours here and there, not necessarily localized. So you have to get your mind wrapped around the idea of a hub, like an airport with, with, you know, mobility fe um, features of different types. Okay. You know, there's, there's buying, there's leasings, there's subscriptions, there's um, you know, there's taxing the, the lifts and the Ubers. 
and but they're localized too. So I kind of see them becoming more like localized hubs with different types of amenity, amenities that are practical uh, and and you know of interest to you know to 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 consumers, and it's hinging around these mobility needs, if you will. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this could happen pretty fast. I think to Bob yes. Lutz's uh, uh, point, you know, last late last year in his Auto News article is, you know, I, I, for some reason, I keep thinking of his, his five-year prediction. But to his point, three years from now, especially five from now, all these things we're talking about are, are will will pretty much be mainstream by that point. These digital retailing, online desking, uh, applications as we know it now, which are, or which are really only designed for new cars. And I think you said Fastlane is, is, is implementing towards the used car side. Yeah. They're have to pick up. They're going to have to pick up. Uh, I think they're going to evolve into, you know, mobility needs in general. In that, well, and here's the thing with that too, is that whole, that whole sector right now of like automotive retailing or, you know, online retailing all hinges on a dealer's ability to understand what it is and apply it to their own website. Right. So it's really limited by that, by the just knowledge space of, of dealers. So when you have companies like auto trader and I just watched their, their new, I, I forget the lady's name, but it's a video of like their new CMO or something like that. Their new product person talking about the new auto trader. Cause I guess they're doing a big redesign and a bunch of other stuff. But anyways, one of the portions they just kind of quickly glossed over in their, the little presentation. And I, I, you know, stuck to it real quick was they are going to start offering that on auto trader, right? So there's nothing to stop auto trader from basically creating their own version of digital retailing mm-hmm. with or without a dealer, right? Because sure. they can auto trader could just say, Hey dealer, this is the new lead that you're getting. Right. It's this customer who says that they want this prepackaged. Right. So as soon as it becomes mainstream like that, then I mean, if Auto Trader and cars, I'm sure cars is probably going to come next. Um, as soon as they start putting those programs together, it's just going to force dealerships and dealer websites to basically have those types of things. So, yeah, it's totally going to be commonplace. Kevin Fry uh, made a point last month in one of our conversations that dealers dealers don't, they don't have to be the losers. You just have to innovate. You can innovate your way out of this and adapt to those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, you know, I think that's going to come down to, you know, do I, do I have the vision? Do I have the capital? If not, I'm going to get, I'm going to get bought up. <laughs> that's what's going right. to happen. Um, and, you know, things are definitely going to change. I mean, you know, the, 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 the facilities are, you know, some will become outdated and get, get wiped away. And you know, new ones will be built, just like just like airports today. They get, they get in ballparks. They get reinvented, um, like they get reinvented so quickly. The new, um, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta just replaced the Georgia Dome. The Georgia Dome was built 15 years ago. I mean, it's practically about, brand new. I know, but so much has changed in the last 20 years with building technology and energy efficiency. That buildings that were built, you know, more than let's, I think more than 15 years ago, you can't retrofit them as much anymore. And if they don't have that, it's all that lead paint. Yeah. If they don't have that (laughs) historical novelty, they're not worth, they're not worth keeping. So, um, yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to see a ton of change, you know, going back to another one of the points, I think the the point uh, that that's in Eric's article about connected cars, right? If you, if you take the idea of, 
of used car leasing. You take the idea of, I don't even know the right term for it, but you know, what, what do you say Lyft and Uber are? Those, they're in the business of what? Is that taxiing? They're just fleet vehicles. I mean, yeah, they're either fleet. Yeah. So if you combine it's service, autonomous, it's like transportation service. If you combine autonomous uh, driving, connected cars, fleet, those, you know, those for there and the whole concept of subscription services, those four things right there all converge into a very colorful menu of options for consumers. And you, you take, I like Lyft. I'm not a big Uber user, right? But everyone tends to use the word Uber. You go to your phone and you need a car, whether it's to go out to dinner with, you know, with your wife and you want a nice car for the night, or you want to do a weekend getaway with the kids, right? Or winter's coming and you want a good, you know, all wheel drive solution for the next three months, whatever that is, right? You piece it together. There's an economic impact and it affects, you know, your plan and, and your finances. And that's, that's the barter system, but it's all done through your phone. And then you're either going to say, I will go to the hub and, and get it myself, or I need, you know, I need it swapped out at this location, wherever you are, whether it's your home or your office or wherever you are. And then you switch into that car. And aside from your material, personal belongings, the whole driver experience is custom to you. The music, the lighting, the settings, you know, all those things, the amenities are all, you know, are all, you know, they're, they're sure. all tailored around what you want. I mean, that's what's coming. It's, it's pretty damn exciting. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm excited about any new ways that people want to give us money. So I think that's the way you have to look at it is that people still want to give you money. They just want to give it to you in a different way. You know, <laughs> that's all. Well, it's definitely going to change the, the, what I would say, the personnel makeup at, at dealerships. You know, I think, yeah. you know, for someone like you, you're going to have to ad adapt and embrace all these new technologies and, and systems integrations, right. And, and data and privacy and all that, you know, people in the service departments, in the fixed ops, you know, their, their roles are going to change. There's going to be a lot more concierge, uh, you know, uh, mentality. I right. Think that, you know, yeah. You're looking at lifetime customer value really at that point too. Mm -hmm. You know, if they buy into your ecosystem, they're buying into your ecosystem like fully. So you have to, you know, you have to create those experiences every single time. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool days we're headed into for sure. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll say this, man. My, one of my favorite movies of all time is Minority Report. And one of the things I like about it is the, the research that went into trying to pinpoint where mobility would be, you know, where technology would be, but specifically where mobility would be. Uh, that movie takes place in 2032, if I recall. And oh, so it's right around the corner. It's 15 years from now. And all these things we're talking about five <laughs> years from now are going to be in fruition. So what you saw right. in the new report is, is, I mean, we're going to be living that before you know it. It's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. And on that horrifying note. <laughs>